Okay, welcome to Saying Second Sports. I am John Schofield. I am being joined by my co-host, Ward Carroll, and joining a special guest, Bill Wagner, uh, running the board, doing old man radio, and doing everything else is Chris Cervello, our producer. Let's just kick it right off. This is the day after the postmortem, if you will, of a really, really disappointing game. Um, we had a great time at our, uh, at our virtual tailgate. Uh, many thanks to Dry D5 and Mills Fine Wine and Spirits for supporting us uh, for that virtual tailgate. Great conversations with Amy McGrath, Pablo Beltran, um, Mike Heary, uh, Alex Chahansky, um, everyone who came by. You know, the, the conversation with Amy McGrath was phenomenal. Uh, the guest picks uh, were really fun, and the picks were all wrong, apparently, uh, because we all picked Navy, and then as we all saw, pretty evident early on, um, it turned into a show and not really a great show. And I know that we were all disappointed by it. We were all moved by it. And especially Niamat uh, in his post-game comments. So who better to talk about those post-game comments and his evaluation of how the game went, a game that ended with us on the wrong end of a 55-3 to uh, shellacking um, by BYU. Let's bring in Bill Wagner to kind of evaluate what he saw from beginning to end last night, and then much more importantly, some of the comments that were made in the post-game press conference. Well, John, I think we all learned last night just how important preseason practice is. I've been going to Navy football practices uh, during August training camp for 20-plus years, and they get after it. In fact, they normally have Saturday scrimmages, which are basically games. Those are inter-squad games, and it is full-on, good-on-good, defense trying to smash the offense, offense trying to score on the defense, and that's how you prepare for a real football game. And Navy did not do any of that this August. Coach Niamatololo felt the most important thing was to make it to the starting line without losing players to coronavirus or contact tracing, and he made the decision to not go live no hitting, no good on good, no scrimmage situations, and boy, did it prove a wrong decision, and he knows it. He said so in his post-game press conference. He said, this loss is 1,000% on me, and he acknowledged he made a mistake, and, but it, it, he, he knew it was a risk. He rolled the dice, hoping that his practice approach could work, and it was obvious after one offensive and defensive series that he had made a major mistake. Navy was not ready to play football, real football. They were two steps slow. They were not prepared for the speed of a live football game. They were not pad ready. They were so out physical by BYU, it was not even funny. Um, that's the worst performance by a Navy football team I've ever seen. And I. I go back a long ways, and I've seen some pretty dreadful Navy games, but never was it really due to lack of effort. They may have had a game where there was a lot of turnovers and it all went south, or they were just overmatched by a really good Notre Dame team or Cincinnati a few years ago when they lost 42 nothing in Cincinnati. But 
never did I see a Navy team that just looked just so inept that they they were they look it would look like the varsity scrimmaging the scout team on Monday night, and it was embarrassing, John. Yeah. Well, let me ask you something really quick before I kick it to Ward, because I know Ward has a lot of good questions. We were talking about them uh, before we came on. So I was in a conversation with someone after the game um, who basically said, hey, you know, is this really as big of a deal as we think it is? Like this season already has an enormous asterisk on it anyway. All right. The Big Ten isn't playing or maybe they'll play around Thanksgiving. Um, you have all of these cancellations, all of these weird scheduling perks. You're, you're still in the midst of a pandemic, which might even get worse again as we get into the fall. I think the whole thing with the pandemic is playing a role in this, like, you know, psychologically or sociologically? Well, I think that's a good question you ask, John. And I mean, I'm sure there is some factor to this, that this is the strangest season ever and how do you approach it, et cetera. But I'm about to write my usual follow-up column, and here's what I'm going to say in this column. If you're going to play college football, you have to be all in. It's one or the other. If, if Navy was going to take this approach, they should have just punted on the college football season. Multiple conferences did it. A lot of major conference schools are not playing football because they did not think it was safe, and they did not – foresee an environment in which they could make this work. Navy, as an institution and as a member of the American Athletic Conference, made a decision to play college football. And when that decision was made, Navy needed to be all in. And the fact of the matter is, they were not all in. The training camp that was held was a tiptoe to the start line. And you cannot tiptoe your way to a BYU team that's got 25-year-old men who are, they were fired up and ready to kick some butt last night. They even have a clip in which they show a big, bad Navy uh, BYU defender saying, it's time for some big boy football. Well, BYU played some big boy football and Navy did not. And it, you, the results were 55 to three. So my column is saying he either stepped up to the plate and go all in on this or you pull back and say that, you know, we decided we can't make this work. We can't play college football. Um, I know Chuck Gladchuck has no intention of doing the latter, and Kenny Amatololo is going to have to change his approach. Ward, you're the – well, we're going to hear from you and Chris uh, as the, as the uh, alumni of this institution. Um, Wags and I only follow it. Um, from the standpoint of our own fanaticism, but you know, as as an alumnus of the Naval Academy, um, how did you feel uh, just kind of watching that play out? Well, I mean, obviously, this we didn't have the sort of product on the field that we've had for let's say the last uh, eight seasons, right? Plus, um, you know, as our regular listeners know, and you know, I'm a member of the Chain Gang. Um, so in, in that capacity, um, there's sort of a battle rhythm that, that we're part of that was rendered uh, surreal be, because of the lack of fans and because of uh, the, the lack of crowd noise and because of the usual pageantry that gets a team up, gets a, a, the home team, the Navy team uh, up was, was not there. Um, so I think um, 
you know, because we didn't quite know what to expect, right? So we're going through the motions. There's a lot. We've already talked on the show about the pregame testing that the the, the crew had to do, um, you know, and getting on the field. There were wristbands and, uh, you know, laminates on laminates and certain areas around the coach's box. They extended the coach's box by five yards on either side. And if you didn't have the AAC wristband, you couldn't get in there. And, that, and the place was very well guarded. There were probably more security people than there were um, – you know, other, other members of the staff. And, and so um, further, it was made kind of uh, weird and, and different by the fact it was an ESPN game. And ESPN had a bunch of pylons that we had to work. Um, and, and I didn't see the TV broadcast, but I don't know if they used the pylon cams for some of the, the flying over the end line or whatever kind of stuff. But uh, we had the responsibility for that. So we actually did a Zoom call with the ESPN producers before in the morning, and, and then we showed up early to, to go through all the logistics and, and the sort of mechanics of that. So that, that was different and weird. And, and I was joking with Bill Givens, who we've had on the show, um, to say, are you going to pipe in crowd noise? You know, kind of like we've seen on Premier Soccer, where you hear the, 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 the team songs and different things they're trying to replicate, and, and Major League Baseball, too. There's somebody with, you know, the different samples of, you know, a, a, a single hit, boom, you, and you get that roar, and then a home run's a bigger roar, and foul ball that's almost a home run, you know, all of these different sound files. Um, and so Bill said, I just have ambient crowd noise. And so it's really like the the analog. I was thinking that this is the way I would describe it when I was there last night, how I would describe it on the show. So if you're a Beatles fan and you think of the beginning of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band before they go into the the reprise, right, or the the, the theme, the, the first song, there's that crowd noise, sort of like people ushering themselves into the theater um, and just this ambient conversation. That's what it sounded like. Right. And they had the tunes going on. They had, you know, the crazy train and the, the Beastie Boys. And, and it sounded terrible. I don't know. The sound system needs to be tweaked EQ wise. It was all high end. There was no low end. Um, and, you know, the activity on the sidelines w- was as it would, would ever have been, except I think, and I think this also affected uh, the team's performance huge time delays because of TV timeouts, because of media timeouts, more than a normal CBS sports broadcast. Um, The first quarter lasted almost an hour. Um, And so you take that downtime, you remove crowd noise, and it's going to just render the team kind of flat, right? And and so I think that in terms of the energy level, both sidelines, that, that was a an anomaly that's a function of this playing in the COVID-19 environment. Um, and so, yes, that's a long answer to the question, John, but as an alum, obviously, um, you know, I mean, the first holiday bowl, fall of 1978, Navy versus BYU, Phil McConkey, um, we won, right? Quite handily. Um, when you think of BYU, I don't know what our history wags is against BYU uh, you know, in, in the history of that rivalry, but uh, is this the first time we've ever lost it or we've lost twice? Navy and BYU have played twice. The 1978 Holiday Bowl, and actually Navy didn't kill them. They had to rally to win. Phil McConkey, the great wide receiver and return man, was the catalyst of an incredible comeback victory that still ranks as one of the greatest victories in Navy history 
The teams played again in 1989 in Annapolis, and Ty Detmer uh, picked holes in the Navy secondary, and BYU crushed Navy. That's the history. Two, so it's two and one. Navy. They're two and one. One and one. Well, yeah, two and one now. So actually, so Wags brought up a really good quarterback from um, BYU's past. I, I, you know, I, I'd like to ask both of you before Chris comes in. Um, you know, the the first couple of touchdowns were. Yeah, both both on running plays, both long runs, thirty plus yards. Uh, you know, Chris and I up in the press box were even remarking that the offensive line uh, for BYU was just getting enormous separation, like just just getting getting running backs a lot of space. So that that can certainly be pointed to as one of the things. But you know, and I know that Nehemiah you know, did his job and, and stood out and said, this is a thousand percent on me, but I'll ask both of you, let's start with Ward. You know, the conductor of that, uh, the conductor of that musical really is the quarterback. And this was Dalen Morris's first, first time doing it. And, you know, with all due respect to the kid who, who has worked his tail off to, to earn this starting job, the, the very first audition was not, was not very good. How much would you place this um, solely on the quarterback, knowing that I've already caveated it with the fact that the defense was just getting roughed up by that BYU offensive line. Ward, what's your take on that? Well, I mean, I can answer that in the infinitive, which is the triple option is very much on the shoulders of the quarterback, um, the, the, the cadence of it, the rhythm of it. Um, so I think the first half sort of speaks for itself. I think when Olsen came back in the game, or when he, in, when he entered the game in the second half, we started to see a glimmer of a, uh, a, a Navy triple option offense. There was some, you know, it was, it was being executed a little more crisply. Um, and, and so I don't know what that means going forward in terms of who's going to uh, be the starting quarterback. But, uh, and by that time, obviously, it was too little too late. Um, and, uh, yeah, even when we had a turnover, there was some opportunity to maybe shift the momentum. It, it just, the air went out of the balloon uh, in a play or two. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously this, this as we've seen with Keenan, we've saw, seen with Malcolm, um, you know, we're successful when we have a quarterback who's a, who's a field, field general, you know, field admiral. Um, and uh, that, that just wasn't happening. Well, first of all, I'll address what you were talking about with the BYU offensive line. They were, as advertised, big, strong, experienced, and very physical. And they dominated Navy. Uh, it was hat on hat. Navy defenders could not get off blocks. I watched replays of a couple of those touchdown runs, and the tailbacks for BYU were not even touched. Not a hand laid on them. They were into the... Th third level immediately because the Navy front seven was completely locked up. Not a single defensive lineman or linebacker was, could get free of a block. But I, again, attribute that to not doing it in practice. You, if the starting offensive line for Navy does not, you know, try to block you in anger, you don't know, you don't learn how to get off blocks. You're not conditioned to have to fight off blocks and get to the ball. So, again, I attribute that to not being live, although that BYU offensive line is going to maul a lot of opponents this season 
the center in particular, he is an absolute NFL prospect. I saw him put big Mike Flowers on his butt like five times. On the other side of the ball, Ward is correct. Uh, Dalen just did not look comfortable. Um, he, when he attempted to set his feet uh, on when dropping back to pass, he slipped every single time. Um, he was his footwork wasn't correct trying to get out on option plays. He tripped over an offensive lineman's leg one time. Um, he did not look comfortable in it. But again, you know he's never played a meaningful down in a game. Looking good in practice when you're basically practicing against scout team guys holding a bag is not the same as live ammunition. And he faced live ammunition last night, and he folded. It's as simple as that. Perry Olsen, who came on in the second half, did look better. Perry played in games last season. He was finished out the Notre Dame game for a quarter and a half. And Perry did look a little bit better, but in the end, the leaky offensive line, which could not block anyone, uh, prevented either Navy quarterback from doing much. So it's a little hard to, to bring an evaluation from that game for any of the skilled position players because they had no running room, no room. They couldn't pass because they couldn't protect. Um, but I do think they are going to have to take a long look at the quarterback position. I, they need to go to live practice, first of all, good on good starting offense versus starting defense, and see which quarterback looks better in that setting um, before they play another game. Uh, but, yeah, it was very disappointing uh, on both sides of the ball, and I, I attribute it to just not having practiced properly, not, not practicing for a real live football game. I kind of think of this in terms of good, bad, and, and other. I think in the good category, the game is over. We got through the first game. We know now what a game looks like and feels like at Navy Marine Corps with no fans. And as Ward described, some of the uh, atmospherics on the field. You know, Wags, I understand your your point. Um, I, I think, you know, having known Ken and Ivan now for almost 25 years, like I think they made a calculated uh, risk, uh, or they took a calculated risk, and and obviously didn't pay off. And he was the first one to put it on him. And so now I think now for them it begins. And I think that you know that was your point is that really the season begins in earnest today for the midshipmen. They know what they need to do. On the bad, um, I think we covered all of it. I mean, it, it really is. Uh, you know, they have a lot of work to do. Um, they. The fundamentals is what really bothered me. I mean, I, I didn't mind that bigger, stronger, older BYU uh, linemen pushed our guys around. I think we would have seen that um, even if we did hit. I think we would have seen that against Notre Dame. Um, but the fact that the starting quarterback had a lot of trouble setting his feet, had a lot of trouble running the triple option. That really concerned me. They need to really, really get after that. Um, you know, regardless of who the starter is. I mean, you you would want in the triple option offense. You want your starting guy and your backup to be able to run the triple option. Bill, it looks like you want to jump in here. Well, I was just going to uh, kind of come back on a point that Ward made about the atmosphere. It dawned on me, and I think a lot of people agree that the at lack of atmosphere hurt Navy far more than BYU. And I don't know that anyone anticipated that. BYU came in here as the visiting opponent. They don't expect to have any support 
and they could care less. And as it turned out, the, the no fans, no atmosphere benefited BYU. And I do think the Navy players were very deflated, that they are accustomed to a certain atmosphere at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. And that emotional support of the brigade of midshipmen and a sold out you know, stadium is huge. I think the Navy players really were thrown for a loop by the lack of atmosphere. I mean, Ward, do you kind of, is that what you were saying? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And and John, you remember when Dave Lilliflorn was on the show uh, and he and, and, and Mike were talking about um, that they didn't think it mattered, right? Like it would be a spring football vying for positions kind of intensity. Um, I think last night showed that that's not true. Um, and somebody actually commented, one of the ball boys commented that uh, we, we didn't have home field advantage. That exact point. It's like we, there's no home field advantage here, right? It might as well be a third, a neutral site, you know, somewhere. Um, and, and so another thing that the soup said is, you know, he's going to, you know, I don't, I don't know what the verb would be, fight to try to get the brigade in the stands before the Temple game um, just because it really does matter. You know, that, that 12th man element. And I know having been there for the Memphis game and the Houston game, some of the, the Air Force games in recent years where there were just nail biters and, and Navy being the cardiac kids and you just hear the brigade, just this surge of volume it gives you chills. And I know it motivates the team. I saw Malcolm in action actually be a, again, I'll use the tired uh, uh, cliche of field admiral um, based on you know, shining in the moment because he knew the crowd would uh, would respond and they were already sort of energized. Um, so the absence of that, again, and you add the ESPN death by a million commercials element, um, you know, the guy with the red, you know, smock was on the field a lot. You know, as a, as a chain gang guy, it's great because you don't have to run after a punt, you know. Because um, here he comes, and we can take our time because there's going to be three minutes of commercials now, um, and and uh, so I think all of that again to second what Wags is saying, it it it, it did affect Navy more than it, it it affected BYU, and it it took it took home field advantage out of the equation. So let me take a contrarian opinion there, just for the sake of our debate. Um, in that I, I was getting after it on Twitter with uh, really, you know, one of my favorite people, Gavin Jernigan, who was the backup punter to Pablo Beltran um, when he played. And he had a tweet out there, something to the effect of, hey, I, I put this loss on Governor Larry Hogan. You know, as a veiled, um, you know, as a, as a veiled statement that had Hogan um, allowed the mids to attend the game the way that Army had their cadets in the stands when they just trounced Middle Tennessee State, that it would have been a different scenario. So, you know, my point was, and still is, all right, Mikey Stadium is, is within the grounds of West Point, so kind of an apples and oranges thing. We do have to comply with, with what the governor and, and the county, uh, you know, put out regarding attendance outside of the walls of the Naval Academy. But for me, I almost think that we're talking out of both sides of our mouths in that for the first 10 minutes, we're talking about how the offensive line of BYU was just punking Navy's defense, how Dalen was tripping over offensive linemen. I don't know how much a crowd like is, is a salve to that illness. 
Um, you know, in fact, I, I would almost think that a crowd adds to the pressure of it all. I, I, I have a hard time thinking that mids in the stands, 4,000 mids, um, or a number less than that, so they can stand mate watch or whatever other ridiculous stuff in the hall they have to do, it was going to make a difference. And I think the final score kind of pointed to that. Chris, you have a, you have a pick on that? We typically view what home field advantage as what a seven point or maybe or a, or a three to seven point, you know, benefit. Okay. Now take mids in the stands. What, what does that add? Uh, it doesn't add a 52 point difference. So, I mean, I, I, I take all your, I take all your points. I mean, th- this was a team that was not ready to play. Um, it was a team that, that didn't rise to the moment. And, uh, that's in my opinion, that's what Ken and, uh, and the coordinators need to, uh, to to focus on before the next game. Chris mentioned the phrase uh, adding insult to injury. Uh, Wags, from what you gleaned coming out of last night, uh, we, we all know what the scoreboard said. We all know what the, you know what the result was on TV in terms of just the lack of competition. Were there any significant injuries or anything else that came out of last night that you've heard? I've not heard anything about injuries. I saw a couple offensive linemen go down. Billy Honaker had to come out of the game, but he went back in. He's the starting right tackle. I saw at one point the starting left tackle, Luca, Luca Fradiani, was making his starting debut. He left the game, but I think he's okay. From my understanding, I, I, normally Scott Strasbier, the Navy Sports Information Director, would announce if a player has left the game and is not returning. Um, he would have injury updates in the press box. There was none of that. Um, but, you know, to my knowledge, there was no injuries, which is one plus, I guess. And Navy, we should note, is off this coming weekend because they were originally supposed to play Lafayette and the Patriot League's not playing football this season. So Navy has a unexpected bye week coming up. So they have two weeks before going to Tulane on September 19th. So they have two weeks to try to get things fixed and any bumps or bruises that came out of the BYU opener, uh, there's time for players to heal. The Temple game has been slid to the right two weeks. Um, I don't know if that's a CBS Sports uh, thing, because I know that we were wrangling with CBS Sports with the contract. I know that's been inked now. Um, Why do you know why that game was moved? Yes, it's related to Temple. I Interviewed Chuck Gladchuk this morning before writing that article that is posted to CapitalGazette.com. Uh, City of Philadelphia is having some serious problems with coronavirus, and Temple University in particular is having some problems with coronavirus. They had an outbreak on campus. They had been doing in-person instruction. They had to quickly reverse course and uh, close down in-person instruction. They're now doing online instruction only. The city of Philadelphia told Temple University uh, they have some guidelines, restrictions for how Temple football can practice. They told Temple football they could not go live scrimmage. So basically, this is exact scenario as to what Navy uh, went through and that Rod Carey, the Temple coach, said, I'm not going to be have my football team ready to play Navy on September 26th. It's that simple. It won't be safe. We won't be football ready. And I was just reading some comments from Rod Carey. After watching Navy play last night, it confirmed exactly his concerns that you cannot be ready to play football if you have not scrimmaged 
intra-squad scrimmaged during the preseason. And so uh, that Navy result was 100% affirmation to Rod Carey, the Temple coach, that his team's not ready to go. And that's why the game's being pushed back two weeks. And you should note that that's going to be Temple's opener. Temple lost four non-conference games. They were supposed to play three games, Miami and two other non-conference opponents. Uh, I think Idaho was one of them. Um, But those games all went away, and they were supposed to open conference play against Navy on September 26th. Now, Temple does not have a game until October 10th. So that game will be Temple's opener. Presumably, it'll be the fourth game for Navy, which is slated to play at Tulane on September 19th and at Air Force on October 3rd. I, I agree with Chris that the, you know, the result uh, totally eclipses any of these intangibles that we were talking about, for sure, right? But I think in intangibles and tone can matter on the margins. And you, know, you talk about setting the tone from the first series, from the first hit, um, that it didn't help. And I, all I'm saying about the existence of a crowd is I think the team would have been more up had there been certainly the brigade, not not to mention season ticket holders and suite owners and so forth and so on present. Um, so they did, they went through the pageantry of running on the field, right? There was nobody there. Um, and so they tried to replicate all of the, you know, the cadence and the, the choreography of a regular game. Um, and ultimately, uh, you know, as we've said a couple of times here, uh, it, it, it fell short. Interesting difference between how the state of Utah is doing business and the state of Maryland uh, that is germane to this argument or this, this conversation. So the, the ball boys, I mentioned ball boys, because those guys are standing next to me and, and you know, during TV timeouts, we're chit-chatting. And so this one uh, BYU ball boy um, was very curious about the Naval Academy. And he, he thought it was very interesting that, you know, all of the line, uh, the, the, uh, chain gang were grads and, you know, and, and want to know what we'd done in the service and so forth and so on. But, and as I was talking to him, I'm like, are you guys leaving like tomorrow? He goes, no, we're leaving right after the game, getting on a, a Southwest airplane, BYU or at BWI, flying to Provo, land at five in the morning. And then he had class today. Right. And so he said, this is what we're doing for home games as we're talking about, cause he's like, Hey, did you guys ever consider having fans? And I went through the matrix and, uh, he said, this is what the state of Utah is. A, a outdoor event can only have 6,000 people at it. But he pointed to the visitor stands and the home stands. He said, each one of those is considered a separate building, right? So they have, he says, our stadium is built in four different sections like this. So each one is considered a separate building. So they can actually have 24,000 people legally in the stands for their home games. You know, so again, I agree, Chris, you know, when you're going to lose 55 to three, these things don't matter, but um, it, it really would be nice to be able to have fans in the stands when you're at your home field. Chris is right that it comes down to playing football and Navy wasn't prepared to play football. And, you know, 55 to three is a total shellacking, no matter how you look at it. Um, Kenny Amatololo described it as the worst game Navy's ever played during his time associated with the program, and that's 21, 20 plus years. So, you know, they got to go back to the drawing board. They're going to have to figure out a new way to practice. They got to find a, a better way to get ready for football because obviously they were not ready to play a football game on Monday night. 
For sure. And uh, like I always do, I, I would encourage everyone to follow Wags on Twitter um, and read his columns at capitalgazette.com um, you know, for all of the insight, uh, despite the lack of access uh, that all of us are really getting. Um, you know, Scott and his team are trying their best to, to give us information and give us access where they can, but it's certainly not the same access we were used to and certainly that you were used to. So, um, so please continue to follow WAGS for all the intel as, as Navy tries to climb out of this. Um, I'll say before I kick it over to Chris, um, you know, we certainly wish Temple the best. I mean, that's a terrible situation. You know, I know that we're all looking at this like a football scheduling thing, but you know, obviously they're looking out for the lives of, uh, of their student body and their players. And that's, that's a tough situation up there. And, and so we certainly wish them the best. I will add that you don't hear any of that stuff happening at Villanova. Um, you know, that shit wouldn't wash there. It's just a, it's a more elite institution, obviously. Um, so, uh, Chris, anything to add? The one thing I wanted to mention is, I mean, there was an interesting article in the Capitol yesterday um, and it has been uh, bounced around today on social media about um, the effect of COVID, not just on you know the football team, which we have really um, you know uh, have picked at for the last several weeks, but that there are a, a number of midshipmen that um, are struggling a bit. That this is a change in the way that they are living, and that it's a change in the way that they're going about their daily lives, and that that adversity is is having an impact. So. Um, I, I don't think that you can um, overlook that part of the story. I mean, I think all of us have kind of talked about that uh, off the air. I mean, I don't know that we really need to dive too far into it on, on this podcast, but, um, you know, this is a very, um, it's a very new and abnormal time for midshipmen. Um, we've seen it with the ships that have been underway for 200 days. So I think everybody's just trying to figure this out. I, I still, I guess I'm optimistic at this, that, uh, as a football team and as an institution will come out stronger on the other end of this. Um, maybe just a little less confident that uh, after last night's game than I was going into it, but I still have a lot of faith in, in the institution's leadership and in the football team's leadership to turn it around. Yeah. So the article Chris is referencing was written by Heather Mungilio. I think I'm pronouncing that correct. Um, she's the new Naval Academy beat reporter for the Capitol. Um, really long article uh, that ran on the front page. You know, it detailed a lot of you know, your, your typical stuff that I even saw when I was the PAO there. When I was the PAO, the uh, social media platform was called Yik Yak, where um, it was kind of an anonymous message board where mids just kind of took out their frustrations on each other. You know, they're 18 to 22-year-old people with hormones and emotions and pressure and, and everything that came with that incredibly awkward time of life that I think all of us can speak to. Um, and now, you know, the, the message site or the, the social media site that Heather was referencing in her article is called Yodel or Jodel. Um, you know, we, we talked to Unsat Mid yesterday uh, for his return performance um, on the pod. And we, we directly asked him about, about um, you know, the morale and, you know, he, he was very, he was very revealing that it's not necessarily representative of how everyone's feeling, but yeah, that, that you, you tell, you tell an 18 to 22 year old kid that, that they aren't leaving campus, uh, for, uh, four months to five months. And, and that'll, that'll start, that'll start inching away at you pretty, pretty bad. Although I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I was driving through not to be like, 
you know, snitches get stitches here. But uh, like I was driving through downtown Annapolis uh, this morning and there was a mid like in a blue rim and shorts like out, like right on the corner next to gate three, um, but further out, like on King George. So maybe that's one of the mids living at St. John's. I don't know exactly how that whole thing is going, but the, the article was certainly pretty spicy talking about the morale. Where, where do you think, where do you think that is possibly, uh, you know, coming into the calculus ward? In terms of football team, uh, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I, I think attitudinally they seemed, um, you know, I don't think that was the problem. Um, I, I think as we've always complained as intramural warriors or, you know, people who didn't play football, you know, there's sort of two worlds. And, and so I don't know if that's their problem. Um, but I do know, and I don't know if the soup spoke to this during his, his hit, um, but he's mindful of this. And he's trying to figure out what are the release valves that don't hazard the health of the brigade. You know, he, he's, you know, as a grad, and we all know, you know, and we, as you've said, John and, and Chris, we, we've, we've mused about this offline. Um, you know, when, when we were, uh, or certainly when Chris and I were mids, the notion of never leaving, I mean, if like the farthest part of the planet you can go to is the tip of Hospital Point, um, that's, that's really a depressing even as I think about it now, it kind of gives me this anxiety, you know? Um, so I know that Emma Buck is, is mindful of that. And as we're sort of saying here, the circumstance is just so unprecedented. And I said, hey, sir, bravo for making the call to get the brigade in place. And now here comes the, the devils in the details of how do we sustain this? Um, and he, again, he said, I, I'm trying to do some things um, uh, that, uh, that will be release valves. I don't know if that means liberty uh, or weekends or whatever, right? And and so what we're seeing at other undergraduate institutions like Temple, and I know it's happening at ASU, I know it happened at UNC, uh, ECU, um, Alabama, Clemson, there are COVID spikes that are that threaten to shut down the academic year. Um, never mind football. And and so Again, the reason that Admiral Buck decided to put the brigade in place was because two of the three prongs of the mission cannot be done via distance learning. And so, you know, make that call and then figure out the details. And so um, we'll see how it goes. And, and uh, I, I don't envy uh, the quote-unquote leadership challenge that the Don and the Soup are faced with. And I have some conversations with company officers as a function of my day job, and I hear mixed reviews in terms of how it's going. Um, and so, you know, I, all I will say is like we're talking about Coach Niamat with we have faith that he he has the capacity to right the ship and, and his leadership on the sidelines was uh, without parallel. I mean, he, he just this this guy's a stoic, as you said, in the postgame wags, he owned it, um, you know, and so if anybody can fix this, he's the man. And I feel similarly about the soup and the Don in terms of the brigade going forward. Um, but this is a tough, this is a tough circumstance, you know, and, and uh, there's, there are no easy answers for what to do. And I know some of the alumni critics that are kind of like this whole uh, coronavirus is a, is a hoax um, are like, just do it. And you know, everybody will be fine and herd immunity. And that's not true. Right. Um, and so um, certainly, uh, the soup 
has the responsibility for the health and well-being of the brigade. It's not an abstract for him. He's not just some class of 83 grad on Facebook. Um, and I would ask our listeners who are alums to be sensitive and, and uh, respectful of, of that responsibility as, as we talk about what should be done. Yeah, great evaluation there. And, and as we take it out, I'll give WAGS the last word as, as we uh, kind of finish up our, our wrap here. The, um, you know, the idea, particularly as we were always talking about the justification for brigade boxing and boxing as a physical, uh, physical education class that all mids had to take was, in the words of Slapshot Carter, that you re- never really knew a whole lot about yourself, particularly as a leader and someone who can bounce back from, uh, you know, from tough times. You, you don't really learn that until you get punched in the face and um, and the mids just got punched in the face. And uh, and to your points, um, I think that they're going to rebound. Um, it's the last time I predict that they're going to win on a live podcast because that really turned out poorly. Um, so uh, Wags, as the last word, uh, how do you think the next two weeks are going to uh, develop and what are you looking for in terms of you know, what the news is going to be coming out of Navy football? Well, there's no doubt that everyone involved with Navy football is going to bounce back strong. I mean, that's just ingrained in the coaching staff, the players. Uh, everybody was embarrassed by what happened, uh, coaches and players. And, you know, I know that Kenny Amatololo and Brian Newberry and Ivan Jasper are going to redouble their efforts to get this team prepared better. And I know the players are going to work harder. And if they do as I expect and start live practicing, uh, it'll help, but basically they lost a month. They spent a month of training camp not doing what they probably needed to do. Now they have two weeks before Tulane. So I cannot say with a lot of confidence that two weeks is going to be enough time to get this Navy football team where it needs to be. And Tulane's sitting there waiting on Navy. It'll be in New Orleans. And uh, I know Tulane's been practicing the same way BYU has been practicing. So I don't know. We'll see. Is two weeks enough time to make up for what's been lost? We'll see. But I'm sure you'll see a much better effort on September 19th in New Orleans. But whether it's going to be enough to beat a very sound, solid Tulane team on its home field, shall we shall see. Yep. And we'll keep giving you the, uh, the updates. Thank you for joining us uh, here on our uh, game one wrap. Hopefully the next time we do a wrap, it's, it's a much better result. Um, but for Chris Cervello um, working the, uh, the production board here and Ward Carroll and Bill Wagner who has just been writing awesome stories uh, leading up to this game and a great wrap up of the game. I'm John Schofield. Uh, we're going to do a double pod week. Uh, we're going to come back to you at the end of the week. Uh, Coach Karen Guevara uh, her team captain about what their schedule looks like and, and Navy basketball assistant coach Emmett Davis, um, who is not only a coach at the Naval Academy, but the father of an athlete at the Naval Academy about how he views this whole thing. So please join us. Uh, thank you for listening to the pod. And until the next time, we are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.